today I am delighted to welcome Emma Cooper to the Building New Realities podcast. Hi Emma. Hi Tim. Great, thanks for, thanks for joining me here. So Emma is in charge of BD, Business Development at Cooperative Innovations. And Cooperative, I'm really interested to find out more about, about, about Cooperative because I've sort of seen them from a distance and played some of your games and tried some of your experiences. Uh, oh, but well, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much. Um, yeah, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Cool. Cooperative Innovations is, um, we've just had a birthday. We think we're six years old. Apparently it's complicated. I'm not going to dig into it, but the business is five to six years old. We're an immersive technology studio. We're specialists in Unreal Engine. Um, and we're particularly interested in how the immersive sector can engage people in a social way. So a lot of our games are, the games and experiences are collaborative and social. So Space Team VR was published during the pandemic, um, during 2020, and that is a collaborative shouting game. You're on board a spaceship, which is a little bit broken. And as a, as a group of people, you need to work together to try and navigate. We've, 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 played, we've played Space Team a lot oh, at, at work. So yes, yeah, we know how it goes. Of, it's a lot of fun. Um, it's incredibly chaotic, and we feel like it was kind of like the perfect vehicle for social VR. Um, so we're still we're still working on that. We're working on a version so that um, the <laughs> I call it flatties, but two D screens can join in the fun. Um, so we're going to be making a new version. Um, with bringing that to beta test very soon. Um, and also we're working on a version for PlayStation VR. So we're out on Oculus and PC VR currently, um, and it will be available for Sony PlayStation VR and flat screens shortly. Flat, um, flat flatties coming soon. Flatties coming soon, yeah. One of the things we really want to do is be as inclusive as possible. We think that one of the things that will help bring people over to the side of VR and immersive is by engaging them in the places where they are already. So engaging PC gamers um, in a game that they could play either on their flat screen or in VR and see if we can tempt them over to the dark side. <laughs> um, so yeah. yeah. Yeah, space teams is, is a lot of is a lot of fun. You know, it's uh, just for, for people who haven't played it. You're, you're there's four of you in a as Emma's described, a kind of breaking down spaceship, and you've got to basically instruct each other or or, or, or shout commands, and the other person's got to react, and it just gets really, really chaotic and, and really shouty. It's a good uh, Friday evening, mid drinks kind of game. Yeah, not too <laughs> not too silly. Not too, um, yeah. <laughs> don't drink a VR people. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And then um, the other project we've been working on and is my baby at the moment. So I'm project lead for Curators. Curators is a social virtual tour platform for museums and heritage sector. We've just launched Museum of Plastic, um, which is an imagined museum. We've created the content ourselves. Um, as part of the British Council's creative commissions that went along with COP26. So the idea of the museum 
is it's set 100 years in the future in a world where we've resolved our relationship with plastic and the museum tells the story of how we got from where we are now to a much better position in the future. Um, so we're, we're busy launching that and talking to people about that in hopes that we can start to develop the platform and get more content onto it and start to engage more museums around what they can do in the immersive space and how we can use social digital spaces to um, really bring their digital collections to life. Yeah, I had a go around um, the, the Museum of Plastic and uh, I think because the, the way it's set 100 years in the future and it talks about having resolved some of these issues, it's actually quite uplifting, right? Because there's a lot That's of like, good. hey, this has been sorted and, and, and then these kind of interesting stories that you put together around it. And, you know, I love, love the sort of the, you know, almost like the igloo feel, uh, very reminiscent of, of, you know, going around, um, you know, real exhibitions, you know, whether yeah. it's Egyptology. But yeah, I really recommend people try the Museum of Plastic. It was, you know, because you got, you, you play, you do, you know, you play with scale, uh, there's these nice stories set in the future. Like I say, I, th yeah. I think the, 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 the feeling I came away with it was sort of quite uplifting. Yeah, I think that's what we were we were hoping for. A lot of a lot of the, the conversation around climate crisis is like heavily doom laden, like mm. in a in an attempt to keep people up the bomb a little bit around their mm. behaviour. And one of the things I'm really interested in is behaviour change and how we get people to be better mm. at just basically being humans. And I know from long-lived experience that the best way to encourage people to change is to give them an active instruction to give them something positive to work towards if you tell somebody to stop doing something or that they're being naughty or bad it's it really doesn't work as a motivator <laughs> to get mm. people to do things so when um Leo Mercer, who we've been working with as the creative producer on the project, when he came up with the idea, we loved it because it it's so much um it's so much more about what we're interested in as a company, which is, you know, positive change for the future rather than you are doing this wrong. <laughs> Please stop doing this thing. Um, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the name of the podcast is Building New Realities, and typically we go off in a kind of tech direction. But actually, a lot of what you said in just um, the way of, of of inspiring people and and reporting the news, um, you know, we, we <laughs> don't want to go off down the, the news wormhole, but, but obviously, it, you know, it's it's reported in a particular way, and there isn't enough positive news or encouragement. It feels like you're swimming against a uh, a very constant tide of heavy, oppressive, sort of fear-inducing news and information. And is that helping us build a good reality? No. It's like, it's, it's really hard to know what to do for the best. So we invested a huge amount of time. We talked to scientists and experts. So we worked in collaboration with um, Hull University who have a, a specialist unit interested in the circular economy um, and they introduced us to a lot of scientists who are working around the globe on 
this particular subject and we said so if if we say if we mark our our cards and say 100 years from now everything's going to be solved what actually needs to happen in the next 100 years for us to get to that point and we had a long really interesting discussions with them and it and it falls into two or three things that need to happen one is individuals need to take responsibility for their own actions and the other side is as with industry and and governance we need to be moving into a circular economy we need to get to a point where we're not making new stuff anymore we're just reusing repairing the stuff that's already been made and then also a shift from linear economics into donor economics so like as a package that is effectively the story we tell we invent some individuals and also some um things that happen in the future and we tell the story along those lines and it is it's really uplifting i'm glad that you got that from it because mm. um, the first the first thing that happens is um we we kill the penguins <laughs> yeah which, which the developers found to be quite heartbreaking <laughs> um the team were like we do what <laughs> um, they're gone, they're we, gone. we need a strong opening <laughs> the penguins are gone but as it as it happens um that becomes the straw that breaks the camel's back and motivates yeah. everybody to really live up to their best selves um, yeah so yeah so uh, I'm interested. Um, I don't know much about the circular economy, so I'd love to hear more about what that means, and, oh, and, I'd, and I'd like to hear about um, the sort of the, the research or views that you got from uh, a whole university. Um, the the university were really really super helpful in helping us reframe the project. When we initially started it, we we were talking in terms of in a hundred years we've got rid of plastic um, and they really helped us to reframe that because that's kind of nonsensical mm. plastics exist beyond um what we commonly refer to as plastics which are oil-based plastics actually there are many plastics in nature um, and there's a lot of work being done in terms of um bioplastics mm. at the moment so they really helped us to reframe what the project was and what that future point would be. So instead of us saying that we've completely eradicated plastics in a hundred years, actually what we're saying is no new plastics are being made. Mm. Plastics are still in the wild. It's just that they're being reused and reclaimed. And at the moment, one of the issues that we have with many plastics is the term single use so many plastics that are designed to be used repetitive, repetitively are not being used for their full potential life, lifestyle we are just chucking them away mm -hmm. so that that's the the one of the like most useful things that we can do um as individuals is to reuse stuff mm. <laughs> that is designed to be used more than once um, and then the other things around um, plastics that are marked as biodegradable currently in the market and how tricky those plastics are and the complexity that comes with talking about those plastics. Those plastics 
um, tend to not actually be um, what we would consider as laypeople people would consider biodegradable. I, you can't usually put those plastics in your compost. They need to be put into a special, they need to be taken to a special factory or facility in order for them to be broken down and reused. Um, and so this huge amounts of education that we tried to reformat into this project. Um, in terms of the circular economy, I feel like I can't represent because it's not my special. Oh, the donut model. economy then. <laughs> tell, tell me about the donut, 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 donut economy. Donut economy is great. So um, at the moment we live in linear economics, you know, growth is good, growth is everything. The only mm. way that you can demonstrate success as a business is by growing, by increasing your profit or increasing the scale of what you're doing. In donut economics, it's about thinking about um, maintaining a balance on the on in the middle of the donut. So, if you think of a traditional ring donut, mm -hmm. with with donut economics, the ideal is to be in the centre. You know where the where the glaze is, like just on the top, <laughs> above the jam, like the perfect place. Just above the jam, or has yeah. it got to be a ring donut? <laughs> a ring a ring donut that's glazed oh, yeah. in the centre of that ring. Yeah. Inside that ring is um, is people dropping off. So people who are not earning enough money, mm. people who are not like they're they're unable to exist in the economy because they're too poor, they're unable to get a job, they're homeless, etc. etc. Mm. On the outside of the donor is excess and is mm. too much. It's the um the growth for growth's sake, it's people being multi-billionaires. Mm. It's Decide, deciding that deciding they need to go into space yeah. for that weekend's jolly. Yes. Um, whereas with donut economics, the aim is like the way you win the game in donut economics is to stay in the fine balance between those two things. So making sure everybody is on board and everybody's safe and you know all of their needs are being met mm. um, and not exceeding that, you know, not living beyond our means. Um, not using the plant's resources beyond what is entirely reasonable for mm. one human being. Mm. Um, and it's about balance rather than about a growth trajectory. Yeah, I up and to the right. It's really, it's really, really interesting. Yeah, um, well, that's the first time we've ever had a little sojourn into different uh, economics, so thank you for that. I'd like to, yeah, I'd like to add, I'm not an expert in this, this is something <laughs> that I'm like... It's like uh, pop psychology. It's like I, I read a bit. That's, that's a very, it's a very thin interpretation. <laughs> yeah, um, you mentioned social um, uh, activities, and uh, you know, my my assumption there is you mean social in terms of multiple people getting together. Yes. But yeah. obviously, some of the work you're also doing, well, Museum of Plastic does have a a, a social element to it in terms of. Um, in terms of the tension it's trying to raise. Uh, so at, at Cooperative Innovations, do you feel you're kind of more focused on enterprise? Are you more focused on entertainment? What's the kind of, what's the, the, the sort of, if you could put your, you know, nail your colours to a mask, which sort of direction do you think you're most think interested in? We're, mo we're most interested in entertainment. I think entertainment with a, 
nod towards social um, betterment. I think it's that, I think that's the thing is the um, te technology, the technology that we have at the moment, and we're continuing to push the state of the art of, um, has lots of opportunities to make things better for people. Um, with immersive technologies, especially with social immersive technologies, it completely reduces the need to travel, which means that we're kind of we're getting to start to talk about reducing carbon footprint mm. to a certain extent. So with curators, it's the ability to go to a dream location and have a really positive lovely experience, but not pay the cost, the actual cost of the airfare, and then the environmental cost of the airfare. So like it's it's answering those needs. We also recognise that um we can add levels of accessibility to certain places. So in a lot of heritage um environments the physical building is the artifact and they can't add stair lifts they can't add ramps mm. um, so being able to give somebody the ability to see things that they would never be able to see um, because they have accessibility issues mm. is really interesting to us um, and like the the furthest end of what we're trying to achieve is making this as accessible as possible to content makers. So who are the voices that are telling the stories that are being told in the museum and heritage sector and can we broaden that out? If we're able to make tools that lots of people can use regardless of their um, expertise or status, and mm. um, what kinds of stories are we going to surface? So a long-term plan for curators is to create a, a tool for everybody to be able to make their own museum um, or tour, um, which is super exciting. So I think maybe we are pinning our flag towards social change, but using entertainment as a vehicle to do that. And how did Curators come about? Was it uh, as a result of a project, a pilot, a grant, or was it just an internal kind of? Um, um, it's, a, it's, it's an internal mission. We've we've had we've had the bare bones, like a prototype of the of the platform for a really long time, mm. um, and we've been talking to people about it for a really long time, but from a very broad perspective. So we internally called the project storytelling for a really long time and we can see that it would work in lots of different sectors we've been talking to television entertainment companies we think it's got um a lot of use in training and education but at the beginning of the pandemic um innovate uk put out a, a funding call for uh, creative business responses to um covid, COVID yeah. and to specifically for sectors affected by a lockdown so we kind of we got our brainstorming hats on and we started thinking about, you know, I at the time was homeschooling, as were a couple of my colleagues. We were thinking a lot about like what what we were missing. And one of the things I really missed was museums. Like we spend a lot of time in museums because it's free. Mm -hmm. It's free entertainment and it's like it's nourishing entertainment. Mm -hmm. So as as I'm one of those moms, like 
I love museums. So we kind of molded what was storytelling into curators, got a grant from Innovate, spent a, a decent amount of time doing some R&D. And then from that, we're now at a position where we've got the, the beta online um, and people are giving us feedback, which is a wonderful position to be in. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how we got to where we are. Yeah, it's interesting the uh, the museum experience. It just um, you know, whilst we're sort of fighting or or wanting to provide experiences for our children that are other than the screen based, and you know, museums great for that, isn't it? Because it triggers conversations and and imagination and and all those good things. Yeah, I think they they work on multiple levels depending on age group. So a very young age group is just going to a place where there's cool stuff to look mm. at. You know, giant skeletons and interesting treasure. Whereas as kids get older and they are self-learning, self-motivated, they can read, they can explore stuff and being able to offer like a depth of storytelling is really awesome. All right, we've managed to do 25 minutes without mentioning the M word. So I'm now going to ask you, <laughs> what does the metaverse mean to you? Um, we started really tentatively about, it was approximately two weeks before that word started getting loads of press. We started tentatively saying, oh, we made a metaverse for museums and culture sector. Like, it feels like that's what this could be. Um, so it was really interesting, like, seeing that word just, like, whoop. Explode, yeah. Um, I think what the metaverse means to me is, I've spent 20 years working in interactive media, and the metaverse to me is the digital layer that exists all around us and has done since we invented the internet. So it's metadata that's attached to stuff that exists all around us. And we have different lenses that we can see that through. So whether that's my beautiful phone or, oh, it's not there, or my headset um, or my laptop or the television, the metaverse has existed already for a really long time <laughs> um, and ownership of that is a tricky thing because I don't think it was ever a commodity I don't think it ever will be. What, what, what do you think's driven the um, all the sort of attention to it in the last two or three months because it was getting lots of attention prior to the Facebook rebrand, re so I don't think we can pin it all on that. No, I think, I think, you know how ideas coalesce? You know how like... Mm -hmm. Lots of people are thinking of, the same thing at the same yeah, time, yeah. Synchronistic. Think, there's a bit of synchronicity, and I think that as a sector, we really, we've really struggled with um, defining, like my mum still doesn't really know what I do for a job. I'm not sure I know, actually. Um, but... Um, I think we've struggled with defining who we are and where we, we fit alongside other industries. Mm. Often we're tagged on as the end and considered marketing or, you know, we're in, are we an industry in and of ourselves? Are we, which is what I believe, a layer that sits on top of all things, you know, it's just something that is an addition to um, supplementary information to all things. Um, and I think that the pandemic has changed people's understanding and working knowledge of what 
digital spaces are. I, I have a, I work really hard to try to not say the real world and we'll talk about the physical world versus the digital world. Mm. I've had friends that I've made online that are lifelong friends and um, that I meet very rarely in the physical world. Um, but they're no less meaningful as mm. relationships. They're, they're deep, important relationships to me. Um, and I think for a lot of people, like a vast majority of people, digital relationships have always seemed a bit empty and a bit silly and a mm. bit hollow. And what we had to endure during the pandemic was maintaining what were considered actual relationships with people in digital spaces. Mm. And everybody just went, oh, oh, I see. Mm. So then the conversation has, I think that that broadening out of understanding of what digital space is and how we can share it and navigate it as a social being, we've then got to the point where we go, well, what do we call it? And we, I think as a sector, we just gone digital space, yada, yada, yada. Whereas now we're bringing a wider group of people into this mm. conversation. They've gone, oh, this, so this is the metaverse. Mm. And we've gone, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> us. <laughs> You've given us a name, we're gonna take it. Quick, <laughs> go for it, grab it. And that's, that's entirely what's happened, which is why like a lot of people rolled their eyes when Facebook did what they did, but it's not surprising. Yeah, also not, not a bad thing necessarily. It's not a bad thing. It, it, makes, it makes it a little Legitimize, complex. Legitimizes it in some way. I mean, if they start trying to own the, the name, um, that becomes, you know, that, that becomes uh, difficult because the name has established headway and meaning on its own and then coming in and swiping yeah. it would be, which obviously <laughs> could entirely uh, happen. Um, but I think, you know, generally that kind of signaling that it's a sector is is useful to us. And I, I really like what you said about, I haven't really thought about it in those terms because you just kind of get on with it when you're doing a business, but to actually think about where you sit and perhaps we're just metamorphizing or doing that thing that butterflies do when they come out of a cocoon where you've been like a bit of digital and you've been a bit of marketing and a bit of advertising and we're actually just trying to sort of come forth into sort of our bit um and and if metaverse is a name that people understand um because prior to that you might have said i work in graphics or i work in computers or if you were just doing marketing stuff the whole time and your head was a a marketing person you go be a you know I, I do marketing, but with with immersive. So perhaps it is um, just a, a, a nice emergence of, of, of a catch-all phrase. I think when there's such hype around you, there can be a little bit of, um, you know, almost like mental catch-up the whole time with things and something you've been working in is sort of moving that fast, and you and and, and you sense it, sense it sort of. Or where's it running to now? Is it now turning into something else? Um, yeah. Uh, and, and when you've always sort of worked on the cutting edge, it can be a bit of a curse to always try and keep moving forward. It's like, no, 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 just stay where you are. And you're like, just, just do do this bit rather than be like, great, now I'm going to do an NFT enabled Web3 avatar fashion label. It's like, whoa, no. I, I think it's, I don't know. I don't know if it's my age or somebody was saying that to me yesterday, 
the, the pandemic has aged everybody like 10 years. Um, Physically so, or emotionally? Yeah, both. Right. I'm, not, I'm not sure if it's, if it's that or if it is actually my age because I have been in the sector for 20 years. It's exhausting. <laughs> it's really exhausting. And I think to some extent it's, um, uh, if you pardon my language, same shit, different syntax. Yeah. Um, and just give it a name. And it, I, I think what's important for us to understand is that this is other people navigating and understanding what we know in our mm. bones mm. and possibly never really explain to people properly. Mm. Um, I think that's what's happening is we're getting, we've, we were a niche and people are now accepting you know, and we're growing and integrating into the rest of society. Mm. And we're going to have to share it. This is the thing. Like, this is Yeah, yeah that, that, that's that a good point own. as well. It might have been like, oh no, we just work in this little thing where, it, you know, just when you look at your comms and your feeds, it's all people in the sector and stuff. And you, and, and you know what's going on in everyone else's companies, but it's all moving so quickly, but it has been quite, um, yeah. quite a niche. And uh, yeah, I think that's a good, a good, Good observation is perhaps just sharing the niche, and I'd I, I be mean, happy to go. Okay, great, everyone, you know, come and have yeah. a play. And I think it's it's the thing of finding sustainability, finding that balance, so that we can, you know, earn good incomes, not excessive incomes, but good incomes. Donut, donut, earn, donut incomes. Earn, yeah, earn <laughs> the earn the money that we deserve for the work that we do but also welcoming others, make space for other people with different viewpoints. I think it's, it's so, so vital to how we get better. Um, I sound like a mentalist. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're still making sense. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it's a really, it's a really interesting time for us. Mm. Um, we, I, I don't know about yourself, but um, since, since the early lockdown we have had different conversations with clients and partners because they just they're like we understand now what the need is mm. like we've almost um i think a lot of the time technologists um are a little bit guilty of coming up with a solution that doesn't have a problem and mm. um, but actually we always knew that there was a problem. Mm. It's just that nobody else really recognised it. Well, they didn't have a problem. We always saw that this could be a problem, and then obviously a pandemic has accelerated yeah. things. So it's it's been really good for that, if mm. nothing else. Um, but it has been hard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It has been has been aging, aging. And, and continues to be. <laughs> Um, can, tell, can you tell me about a project that changed your approach to your field? Possibly this one, possibly the Museum of Plastic. Um, I think I worked a very long time ago in the olden days. I worked, I used to be a flash developer <laughs> in the olden days. I worked on a project where, um, we worked with a charity um, to make a game to talk to their audience uh, about their subject matter. So they were a, a youth charity 
focused on talking to young people about the the risks and the causes of youth homelessness. Um, youth homelessness doesn't technically exist in the UK because if you are under 18, you are owned by you know the social network. You have you we have to look after our children. Um, however, many people understand that actually lots of children are homeless. Mm. Um, so we made we made a game that was about behaviour change and um, trying to convince children and young people um, that certain risky behaviours were going to lead to have consequences. Yes, exactly. Potentially dire consequences. Um, and what I learned during that project was you can set out with the best of intentions, but you don't always end up with the result that you wanted. And actually, the the game was funnest when you played it badly. So when you took all the wrong decisions, the wrong decisions <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When you because uh. if you did the right thing, you just got a sticker. You were like, yeah. <laughs> Whereas all the story and all the yeah. depth and all the interestingness in it were yeah. in if you did the wrong thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think I learned a lot during that project because, like, after it, looking at it and judging people's responses, it was like, mm. yeah, we got this. This got is not, the wrong way around. This is not the result I was looking for. Yeah, that's a very, very good observation. I mean, that's kind of part of the issue with news like we were talking about when we started it's it's, it's difficult to make um or to communicate positive outcomes other than ah you will you will feel well and balanced or yeah. you, will, you will have a small voice of happiness in your body as opposed to you know chaos doom reaction yeah, yeah. We've been we've been trained on the adrenaline of doom. Like I think we we're all like been on guard now mm. since it feels like since about two thousand sixteen. Mm. Like we've all been like, mm. well, possibly earlier, like twenty eleven, like twenty two thousand one. Yeah, yeah. Like the point at which that kind of like doom news cycle mm. really sucked us in. Um, I saw a, a really interesting talk by, and I'm rubbish at names, I can't remember the name of the man, um, but the guy who did the future world building for um, Minority Report, mm -hmm. and he was talking about the process that they went through to do that like near future casting. Um, and he, he was commenting about like how he'd been praised for predicting the future and how hilarious he thought that was because all he was doing was just taking things through their natural course and kind of like seeing where technology was going and going mm. so like in a couple of years we could realistically see touchless like interaction with with computers because one of the things one of the like massive problems that we have with um computers is the interface that we have with them is really bizarre mm. like a keyboard and a mouse mm. conceptually are really strange so being able to shift that into touching touching space mm. he felt like was natural future position to take um, and I, I've been thinking about that a lot recently that like 
our natural future positions if we're being told all of this negativity is going to be dystopia mm. <laughs> like it's going to be and we're going to continue that cycle um so being able to put something out in the world that has some positivity mm. and a direction of travel as well you know a suggested direction of travel if we all do this mm. um then what will happen and mm. um, yeah more positive news yeah. is required and what are you curious about right now um i'm curious about well i'm always curious about what's next i'm always worried i'm always very curious about what the next syntax is um me and my husband talk often about um the frustrations we have with our parents and their understanding of technology and the fact that our children in approximately 15 to 20 years are going to be having conversations with each other about how mum and dad don't just won't understand this thing and we're, we're trying really hard to think about what that thing is going to be um like what is it that we're just not going to get are we going to be able are we going to be the generation that kind of rides that wave are we going to be able to absorb and understand new technologies better than our parents did mm. um not to diminish my mum or my dad but as they're both you know he's an engineer and she's like a, a physics teacher they're both incredibly competent people mm. but for some reason skype bewilders them and <laughs> so i want i i'm curious about what what technology could bewilder me yeah yeah I, I think that's an interesting point and, and, and it may not be the input like we might always get the technology but it might be what you're expected to do with it like if you have to check in like say the way you check in for an, an airport and you're like no now you've got to do some kind of TikTok dance as part oh, of the God. checking in proceeding it's like well why have I, why would I, it's like, I understand how to do it but I'm just not going to do that and that kids would be like well, why not why would just do the TikTok dance to check in it's your ID it's like no, <laughs> you know, we would just have a real kind of, uh, so, so in some ways I think it's the, the way stuff's being adapted culturally that could catch yeah. us out, where we're like, what, what the hell are you doing? Although I am 100% behind the future where I have to dance to get on board. <laughs> <laughs> I'd true. like to vote for that. <laughs> upvote. <laughs> yeah, upvote, one upvote. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's, I think I'm a little bit scared of being relevant. Yeah, well, we all are, aren't we? Yeah, Especially yeah. If, you, if you've come from a space where you're kind of ahead of the curve and you've got your finger in the pulse and that's kind of how you define yourself. And yeah. to not be that is uh, going to be uncomfortable. So I have to prepare for that reality. We'll have to build a new reality. All right, wrapping up now, I'm going to ask if you can have a billboard with anything on it to help people build a new reality. It's like a physical billboard out in your mm -hmm. town with an instruction, a couple of words. What would you suggest people do? Could be wash oh. your hands, could be have more sleep. <laughs> oh my God, sleep is so important. Yeah, um, yeah. I, <laughs> I prepared for this. So I knew this question was coming. And it's yeah. the only question that I knew was coming and I prepared for this. And again, I'm gonna swear. Oh no, I'm not gonna swear. Um, so I, a long time ago I made uh, an embroidered patch to go on the back of my jacket and it says everybody poos. And I think that's nice. what I would say to the world is that thing is we are all the same. 
ostensibly all the same. We yeah, are yeah. meat sacks. We are yeah. incredibly fragile. Like yeah, yeah. our our bodies cannot withstand a virus. Yeah. Like and that's so much more important than a lot of the importance that we kind of really attached to that other pre, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Pre-pandemic. And I think it's it's that thing of we put people on pedestals, we become myopic about comparing ourselves to other people. Um, and it's just really unhealthy. And I think recognizing that everybody has to sit on the toilet. Yeah, um, yeah, I like that. It's a great <laughs> it's, it's, it's really, literally a great leveler. It's really helpful, you know. I think that it, it's a really good way of thinking about how you conduct yourself in the world. Um, although that has nothing to do with immersive technology. Um, that's fine. Uh, that's. I think that's one one good thing maybe about the metaverse is we don't have to deal with who. Not in the metaverse, no. But you know, <laughs> maybe uh, take screen breaks. <laughs> But that's going to take it down a long. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> next question: <laughs> If you had a hundred million pounds to spend on a social program with no red tape, what would that be? I'd just give it away. I think um, I would. I would give it to. I'd probably give it to artists. I'd give it to artists, and I would say, "Have at it." You know, in a hundred million pounds, I'd give. Uh, I'd give it away in smaller chunks. So effectively an individual could, you know. You give it to a hundred artists. Mini quid, I mean, quid to a hundred artists. Yeah. Nice. And just, just let them live their lives and yeah, yeah. be no consequences. I think a lot of a lot give. of um, a lot of that a lot of the the world artists are too wrapped up in commerciality. Um, or, mm. or have to become wrapped up in commerciality and mm. actually we need we need art for people to understand who they are as people mm. and who we are as an, like a, an organism you know we're a social organism so yeah i give it to a load of artists good good choice and do you have any favorite theories like i really like solomon's paradox which basically says it's easier to give good advice to someone else than to give yourself good advice gosh i suffer from that it's a good um, one, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. That's blanked me. I think um, one of my very, well, my very best friend um, uses the phrase, this too shall pass. Um, and Say that again, that phrase. This, this too shall pass. And this um, too shall pass, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that, that it, it is a truism. I think we. It's a mantra, isn't it? Yeah, we we get very locked into the now um, or the potential futures, and actually, all of it will pass. You know, yeah. we're we're a blip on on the face of the planet, really. Mm. Um, and just trying to enjoy what we have. Mm. Let the grass too shine. Move forward, yeah. I'm not usually this perky. <laughs> very good. <laughs> very joyful. <laughs> and any uh, any book recommendations? Um, the Donut Economics book cannot, for the life of me, remember the name of the woman that wrote it. Um, and also, I really love sci-fi, and I've been reading um, 
Rosewater. Ah, um, Tade Thompson. I haven't heard of that. Yeah. So, and it's a trilogy. So I've just started the second one. It's a, it's a really, um, it's really interesting. I can't say anything about it without ruining it. Um, but yeah, I, I fully recommend that. Nice one. Well, thank you, Emma. It's been wonderful to have you on the podcast. I'm glad we got managed to get into a couple of different aspects of what building new realities might be, rather than just going yeah. for the pure technology play. So thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me. And, and is there any way uh, people can keep up with what you're doing or what's going on at, at Cooperative? Um, Cooperative Innovations are on Twitter and uh, Facebook and usual places, as is Curators. Uh, curators is uh, on Twitter as Curators at um, I'm on I'm quite appalling on Twitter. I'm M E M underscore Twitter. Um, I go through phases of either over tweeting or under tweeting. Um, but I tend to share a lot of work there. Um, and yeah, you can, I you can find us quite easily. I think oh, sure. through, through Google. Um, cool. Yeah. Lovely. Great to chat with you. And you. Thanks.